Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Good morning, New Zealand. 9.03 here uh, as we uh, march our way through to uh, midday. The next three hours will be very, very interesting and uh, cricket will dominate the first part of it. Uh, we're going to go uh, across to the UK where uh, Michael Atherton uh, hopefully is waiting for us to talk about this amazing uh, fallout uh, between uh, coaches, players and boards uh, that has seen uh, the two sides uh, in the ashes absolutely um, distraught, it seems. Uh, perhaps not so much in England, but certainly in Australia where the, the feedback and uh, the punch and counter punch is coming over the Justin Langer I say dismissal because, in effect, he was. So we'll get to Athos very shortly. Uh, Gary Stead, uh, New Zealand cricket coach after 9.30, just named a team to play, a squad to play South Africa. Uh, Some interesting omissions and some very interesting inclusions. Um, Mike Angove, uh, when it comes to UFC or boxing, there's only one bloke you go to in this country, and it's Mike Angove, and that's why we're going for him. Uh, Just after 10 o'clock, Brad Lewis and Sam Hewitt uh, will be the panel. Uh, and then the uh, Love Racing update will be with uh, Louis Herman Watt just prior to 11 o'clock. Ollie Ritchie is in Beijing, uh, where we're going pretty well in the Winter Olympics so far. And then we'll have a Mount Rushmore for you uh, around about 11.43 this morning. And we'll tell you the details of that um, at about half an hour's time. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, Sir Graham Lowe has been credited with many fine observations over his learned time as a high-profile New Zealand sports leader and identity, but his most pertinent for me will always be there are two types of coaches, those that have been sacked and those that are about to be. How right he was at the time and still is, and that was at a time when the coach had to deliver a team that delivered results. Pretty simple, really. Results were the key. Everyone loves a winner. Deliver a W in the column more often than not, and the position is secure. The fallout from the recent Ashes series in Australia has been extraordinary. England, of course, known for their traditions, at least sacked their coach because he couldn't deliver a winning combination. And not for a long time, to be fair. Too many L's in the column with Silverwood and Co. They simply had to go. And after the drubbing that was a very short price at Ladbrokes. But Australia, never shy of bucking a trend, effectively sacked their coach and make no bones about it, he was for having a truckload of W's and not enough friends. Justin Langer does have plenty of friends, you know. You only have to look at the wave of support he has received in the last few days, predominantly from teammates who admired and benefited from his tough, never-say-die approach with bat and hand. He just doesn't have enough in the right places, and that these days appears the right place is the dressing room. On paper, his record is astonishing, the envy of many, many coaches in many, many codes, but apparently he has failed miserably in his main KPI, making buddies around the room. Matters not, it seems, that when appointed as uh, his major KPI from Australia, cricket was probably 
that turn a disjointed rabble into world champions. Job done, Justin. Uh, now for the next move to turn another rabble into world and ashes champions in somewhat colder and more northern climes that might seem. Now how incredibly satisfying and funny would that be? Also incredibly tough. First uh, job to find two openers who can dig in and bat for at least an hour. No denying he has the credentials and right now he may be well in the mood to answer the phone. here in New Zealand, Uh, it's around 8.07 at night uh, in the UK where we find uh, our first guest for the day and I'm really pleased we've been chasing this fella for quite some time and uh, he's been dodging us but we've finally nailed him, Uh, former (laughs) England captain, uh, distinguished journalist, commentator, uh, you know, uh, Michael Atherton's pretty much done everything uh, around England cricket uh, and now he's the proud father of uh, a son who's playing pretty well too, so uh, really good to catch up with you, Athos. Uh, good evening to you, UK time. Good evening, mate. I've not been dodging you, as you well know. You just usually kind of send a note with about 10 minutes before the broadcast to say, can you come on? So I'm always happy to speak to you, as you know. Yeah, well, OK. This is about this is about number one favour of the 10 you owe me, so let's, let's get on with it, <laughs> shall we? Uh, here's, here's the most important thing this is uh, for me. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, the fallout on, on both sides. I mean, England's was predictable, um, and I think you've uh, you've talked about that in a number of articles and a number of uh, interviews, etc. Uh, but the Australian one is is uh, is quite intriguing. Uh, a big clean out in England. Uh, Paul Collingwood, the interim coach. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, the, the clear out was inevitable, really. I mean, it's, it's sad, isn't it? You're talking about people's livelihoods, but England had been so poor for a year or two. Um, the team playing well below its capabilities. I, I don't reckon you can only judge coaches and captains on results because, you know, you, you might have a, a team that's less good than the opposition. And as you know, in Test cricket over five days, the good team, the better team usually wins out. But if a team's not playing to where it, it should be playing, playing to its potential, then that's where, you know, the captain and coach uh, have to take responsibility. And England have been really poor. They were dreadful in the ashes uh, and really poor for, well, 18 months or so. So there was always going to be some changes. Nobody quite knew who they were going to be, but they've been quite extensive and brutal. Ashley Giles, director of cricket, Chris Silverwood, Graham Thorpe, the one man who survived is the captain, Joe Root, and he, he's probably surviving because of the lack of alternatives more than anything else. Um, and he's been reappointed for the three tests in the Caribbean. Paul Collingwood, who has kind of been around the the coaching setup, he's been an assistant coach to Chris Silverwood, but he wasn't there for most of the Ashes, uh, which was probably a good thing for him. He, he went off to the Caribbean and took England's T20 side there. He's respected around the group. Uh, he's he's been a cussed player, as you will remember from years gone by, um, and has got plenty to offer. But it's only an interim position, and we'll wait and see. Um, you know what the more permanent calls are. I suspect England will probably look to split the role because England England plays so much, and what they did was they loaded the whole thing on Chris Silverwood, who's a relatively inexperienced international coach, and he was coaching across formats. 
and had all the responsibility for selection as well. And it was just too much for one man in the end. Uh, about three months out uh, from uh, the Ashes, way, way back, I think around about September, it was, uh, it was up in the air as to who would actually be part of the England Tour Party because I remember quite, uh, quite well at that point that a number of senior players were concerned about uh, not getting families there and, and having to go through isolation, etc., etc. And I just wondered at that point, uh, right there and then, uh, who, was, uh, who was running the cutter and, and uh, if, if things have changed to, you know, obviously uh, it's a long time since I played, but that kind of thing was unheard of. Is that the norm now, that players have that kind of say? I think, I mean, if you're talking about the kind of relationship between captain and coach and who wields the power, it, it's something cricket hasn't quite come to terms with, is it? Because, I mean, coaching is relatively recent in the game. It's only, what, mid-late 80s that teams started to have their first full-time professional coaches. I think Mickey Stewart was England's in 1986, Bobby Simpson for Australia about the same time. And cricket is a long way behind other sports in that regard. If you think of rugby and football and all the American sports, there coaches were to the fore a long way before then and were the dominant authority, dominant voice uh, around a team. Whereas cricket has had a more curious relationship, hasn't it? Because, the, you know, the captain, six hours on the field, he, he's the one who runs the show. So where, where does the balance of power lie? Uh, between captain and coach. And, and really, that's at the heart of, of all these changes, I think, that you've seen in the last uh, in the last few weeks across both sides of the world, really. I mean, it's curious. England get hammered in the ashes but keep their captain. And Australia win the ashes, win the World T20 um, uh, and, and, dismiss, and dismiss their coach. So that, that is something the game has not quite come to terms with yet. I mean, COVID's added an extra complication, as you say. I mean, England really probably should have put their foot down a bit harder at the start of the tour because New South Wales and Victoria were open for business and Queensland wasn't. And they ended up having two weeks of lockdown and it ended up pouring down as well. And so they got to the Gabba completely underprepared. So Andrew uh, Strauss, Sir Andrew Strauss has come in now um, and he's, uh, what, taken over the Giles role as, as Director of Cricket as well as being the Hatchet Man, is that correct at the moment? <laughs> well, yeah, he's the interim director of cricket. And of course, he held that position before Ashley Giles did himself. And, and Andrew only stepped down because of family circumstances. His wife, you know, as you'd remember, died tragically young uh, from cancer. So he stepped away from that role. Ashley Giles came in. And now in a bit of a crisis situation, Strauss always seems to be the man to, to be called upon in a crisis situation. He's back again, but he stressed that he's only doing it for the, the short term, for an interim period. So his main thing really is to get the Caribbean tour done and dusted. So they're picking a team, they'll announce it tomorrow um, and they'll go to the Caribbean for three tests. And then England don't play a test match until June then. So they've got about three or four months and it's really in that period of time, Strauss will make the key appointment, which is the next director of cricket, because it will then be that person who starts to decide on coaching structures, personnel, long-term future of the captain, Joe Root. Um, so there's a kind of an immediate short-term necessity to get through the next tour and then decide on who the director of cricket is going to be, because it will be that man or woman who will make the, the key decisions after that.
the reappointment or the continued support of Joe Root is uh, very interesting to me. I, I, I'm I'm at a loss to some of those decisions, selectorial and tactically, that he made right from the very first morning at the Gabba, and, and it just seemed to continue throughout. Uh, and as you say, there's uh, probably no real replacement as such. I mean, I, I go back to the old days. Remember way, way back when they hauled Mike Brearley back in to sort out a rebel. <laughs> Well, he's cracking on a bit now, Briz, so he might struggle a bit at 85 <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. At the end of the Ashes, I, I wrote, I mean, I'm not a knee-jerk, you know, hang em high type of pundit or writer, as, as you'd know, but I just thought that, you know, they all had to go after it, really. It was so bad, the Ashes. But then when you think about it, you know, there's a pragmatic reality there. They've got rid of three, uh, got rid of three names. And, you know, if you're going to say get rid of Joe Root, you've got to come up with an alternative. And it's not mm. easy to do. You've got Stuart Broad, who's right at the end of his career. Maybe he could do it for a, a short period of time. You've got Ben Stokes, who's the obvious candidate. But, you know, he's only just come back into cricket. He had four months off last summer, you know, looking after his mental health and various fractured fingers and, and, and bodily ailments after quite a hard three or four years on the road. So it is not easy, actually, to come up with alternatives. There's nobody in county cricket who stands out as a Brearley-type figure that you're mentioning. So it's really that default position that that's why I think that they've got rid of some of the others to, to kind of then allow Joe Root almost a freshish start with some new people around him. But, you know, whether a new director of cricket comes in, he might think completely differently and might just say, well, we need a, we need a fresh captain as well. That, that, would be, that would be that person's call then. Uh, you would have read uh, reports and uh, even uh, I think there was a quote as to uh, Andrew Strauss. Or Andrew Strauss is not discounting the possibility of Justin Langer jumping the fence. I mean, England have had a history... <laughs> A history going back to 1999 when uh, you played and Duncan Fletcher was the first overseas coach, Andy Flower. Uh, and then, of course, Trevor Bayliss, who was very good. He, he got them in the World Cup in 2019. So it's not against go against the grain exactly for England to do that as perhaps it would be in Australia. So what of the possibility there? You're right. I mean, many of well England's best coaches since the turn of the century have been... Uh, from abroad, Fletcher, you mentioned Flower, Bayliss, those are the three. And the the English coaches that they've chosen, Peter Moore's had two cracks at it, Chris Silverwood has just had a go. They've not been as successful. And it often is the way that when you move from coach to coach, you almost, you go from one extreme to the other. So it may well be that England look abroad uh, for their next coach. I mean, Justin Langer, in terms of England, has got some things going for it. You know, he's played county cricket. He played at Middlesex. He played at Somerset. Um, he's known to have liked his time in county cricket. He knows Andrew Strauss very well. They played together at Middlesex and have a high regard for each other. Um, and he's the kind of character, I suppose, that I think England are looking for alongside Root, who is quite, you know, laid back, uh, quite amiable. I think they're looking for somebody with a harder, tougher edge, uh, which obviously Justin Langer certainly has. But against that, you know, there'd be so many candidates out there that Strauss would be thinking of and want to talk to. Would would Langer want to do it? I mean, you know, he's an, he's an Aussie through and through. He kind of bleeds green and gold, really. 
And he's just had four months, four years on the road in a hard job. And he's only just got back to Western Australia for the first time in about six months, given given the quarantine situation there. So, you know, I think it's a long way from a given that that he's a strong runner for the job. But, you know, you can see you could see a scenario where it would be quite a good fit as well. Regardless of who gets the job in uh, the, the long term, OK, it's Collingwood now. Uh, one of the things that, which was quite distressing to watch, uh, Athers, is uh, the lack of batting quality uh, that England were able to find on relatively good surfaces. I know Australia's a very fine bowling attack, but the resistance, uh, particularly at the top of the order, uh, was very, very poor indeed. Why? Why um, Why has that happened? I, a lot of people have been saying uh, the focus on white ball cricket in England. Is, is that for you the problem? Good question. How long have you got? I mean, you're right to say that batting standards are poor. I mean, in, in, in English first-class cricket now, they're as low as I've seen for some time, and that manifested itself in the Ashes. On, on quite sporty pitches, I have to say. I've not been to Australia and seen pitches that have moved off the deck as much as they did. Probably four of the five pitches were quite seamer-friendly for, for Australia, uh, obviously, they've got a very strong and high-class bowling attack as well. But you, you're right. I think I'm not so sure it's the it's the white ball cricket, just the white ball cricket. But it's it's a combination of factors really, because because we've got a lot of white ball cricket in the heart of the English summer. So you know, a lot of July and August is taken up now with the Blast and the Hundred. It's pushed the county championship to the margins of the season. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, we did, uh, there's a five-day game at the end of our season that was named after Bob Willis, who you will remember very well and played against mm. a lot as Bob Willis Trophy. And that was played in October. I mean, you know, we're virtually into winter. And the first-class season started at the end of March last year. So you've got a lot of first-class cricket being played at the margins of the season, which is leading to a certain type of first-class cricket where spinners are almost redundant, where slow seamers are holding sway, a type of cricket that is a long way distant from the type of cricket that you play at the highest level. So, I mean, we play a lot of first-class cricket, as you know, in, in England. I think there's an appetite to actually reduce that and try and up the intensity of it. But if, you, if you're going to do that, it has to be played in the summer months. I mean, that sounds a bit ridiculous to say, but, you know, as I say, a lot of cricket's being played March, April, September. You've got to start playing some of it in the months of June and July when you're getting better pitches and better conditions. Uh, but it, it's going to be a, you know, it's not going to be a straightforward process to put right. These things take a bit of time. So better pitches played at a better time of year hopefully somehow getting a more condensed and intense tournament uh, county championship w would help in the long run, I think. And also these things come and go in cycles. You know what it's like. You I just don't. have cycles when, when the game is good and not so good. And we just happen to be in one of those downturns at the moment. <laughs> oh, well, let's hope it uh, has an up. Uh, so in perhaps um, about September after New Zealand have been there for three tests. So uh, we'd, we'd like to have... A little bit of success. Uh, hey, it was always great catching up with you, mate. Um, and finally being Are able to... Are you coming over this summer down. or not? Oh, I don't know yet. I, I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm still, you know, the offer is a lovely one from your great mate Hendo, but 
It's it's the thought of spending um, you know that much time with Hussein that worries me. That's the thing, you know. <laughs> well, it would be great so, to see if you come, as always. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to catch up. We've got plenty to to, to talk about. So, Athens, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, stay safe, stay well. That's the main thing in these days, uh, these current times. So, uh, I wish you all the best. And England too. I, I, I like seeing a good England side. So, I hope they turn it round. Thank you. Pleasure. Good to talk, Smithy, as always. Yeah, cheers, Athers. Uh, Mike Atherton there, uh, former England captain, of course, and uh, noted journalist uh, and uh, really a, a very highly respected man when it comes to his opinions on world cricket and England cricket in particular, uh, and uh, we were lucky to have him there. So 9.23 here on SENZ. Uh, more cricket with Gary Stead after 9.30, the naming of the new Black Cap squad. With Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.28, uh, fascinating interview there with uh, Michael Atherton. We've got Gary Stead coming up very shortly to talk about uh, New Zealand's setup uh, going into the series against South Africa. Subjects for the day, love some communication from you. What makes a good coach? Double eight, double three in your mind. Is it about wins? Uh, is it about uh, establishing great uh, camaraderie in the team? Is it a combination of both or does one lead to the other? Uh, let's uh, obviously um, in Australia's case it doesn't you can have poor camaraderie it seems and still win everything uh, it's quite staggering uh, how through it all uh, if it was in such a mess uh, in the dressing room how they were able to come out and play such a fine brand of winning cricket day after day and I'm talking about the World T20 Cup as well when they knocked us over so uh, what makes uh, a really really good uh, coach not just cricket uh, across the board in your mind give us some examples uh, and also, um, our subject today for uh, the Mount Rushmore is teams with the worst names. Teams with the worst names. Um, if you can come up with uh, some of those and your thoughts, your memories, over the years, teams with the worst or least acceptable names. Now, that's what we're looking for on double eight, double three this morning. That's 9.30 and it's news time. CNZ. <laughs> Uh, we're continuing along with the cricketing theme now uh, and we're talking uh, to a, a coach who's uh, in a happy dressing room it seems and a team that's playing some pretty good cricket uh, in the last couple of years consistently as well. It all seems from the outside anyway uh, looking in that the Black Caps are, are trucking along very nicely uh, and there's plenty to talk about this morning too because they've just named their test squad of 15 for the opening test match against South Africa in Christchurch next Thursday, so just around the corner. Uh, head coach, of course, is Gary Stead. Good morning to you, Gary. Good morning, Smithy. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, I, I guess um, the job of international cricket coach is uh, it's like walking on eggshells at the moment. How do you feel? Uh, well, I'm thankful, uh, yeah, with what's been going on around the world that I still have a job. So, um, <laughs> look, I mean, it, it's obviously uh, there's, there's changes that have, that have happened and um, I think in, in some ways I'm thankful we have a board that aren't quite as knee-jerk as what some of these other ones seem to be. Yeah, I, I think you're right, actually. Uh, a lot more considered uh, uh, about their decision-making and uh, certainly uh, the fallout from that uh, Asher series is, is quite extraordinary. However, um, we're here more to talk to you uh, about the squad that you've uh, just named earlier this morning, which has been confirmed will not have uh, its captain, Kane Williamson, again. So... 
I guess the first question for those uh, people listening, and for me in particular, is just how bad is this elbow? Uh, is, it, is it a degenerative thing, or is it a, a specific injury that requires massive surgery, Gary? No, it, it's definitely not surgery. We've had that um, checked with, with a couple of surgeons from around the world who, who have said, no, um, it's not the way to go. Um, Kane is progressing well. He's, he's, we're really hopeful that he will be right in about three or four weeks' time. Um, there, there's two or three key parts to it. One is he needed the rest for the tendon to improve, and then with all tendon injuries, uh, it comes back to, I guess, loading them but not loading them too quickly. And so we made that call um, with Kane a couple of weeks ago now to say, hey, if we push this again, there's a good chance that we might blow it up again. So mm. in the long-term interests of Kane Williamson um, and New Zealand cricket, we, we think the best thing is that we get this right once and for all, and then hopefully we never have it again. Um, but Smithy, make no, make no um, mistake here, Kane desperately wants to play for New Zealand. I mean, he, this is hurting him not playing test cricket. Okay, um, you know we know that anyway. So I mean, such a, a great servant. That's that, that's un, undoubted, Gary. Uh, interesting side this because you've had to uh, now, of course, replace not just uh, Kane Williamson uh, but Ross Taylor. I mean, and to have neither of them in the dressing room at Test match time will be unusual. So um, you, you've uh, you looked in the middle order, I guess, for the likes of Daryl Mitchell and a particularly important series. I feel for Henry Nichols too in that role. Yeah, I mean, uh, whenever Ross leaves, it's certainly going to leave a, a big hole, and there's no doubt um, we will we will miss miss that experience that he has, and that always provides opportunity for others. And looking forward to to Daryl and and yeah, Henry, as you say, stepping up and, and filling those boots. And I mean, I have complete faith in both those guys. They've scored very very important runs for New Zealand in the past, and and often tough runs as well. And it's something that. Um, that we're, we're going to need in this series. Um, I mean, you, you know the, the stats and that New Zealand have never beaten South Africa in a series. So it's a, it's a massive thing that's in front of us here and, and we're all excited for what's ahead. So if we look at um, those, those three, four spots, I mean, obviously you've, you've got a nice mix there with, uh, with Will Young, who's accepted uh, his roles uh, pretty comfortably so far. Uh, Devin Conway back from uh, that injury, of course, and uh, Tom Latham, who's just playing out of his skin at the moment, which is fantastic. So how you mix and mingle your, your top five is of interest. Um, have, have you had uh, many thoughts or any confirmation about what you're looking at in your top five? Yeah, I think um, Young and Latham will continue to open. Um, they did that last series and did it well. And then with Kane not there, um, Devin will bat three for us. Uh, and then in the four and five, I think you'll, you'll be seeing Nichols and, and Mitchell and, and we'll just have a bit more of a think around which order that will be in. Um, so trying to, I guess, limit wholesale changes right throughout. But as you said earlier, when, when you do take Williamson and Taylor out, then, then you obviously have to make change and they're very, very hard people to replace. Uh, coming into the squad, uh, first of all, coming back into the squad is uh, Hamish Rutherford. I think this is quite a good story because... Here's a kid who started his test career with a hell of a hiss and a roar. I mean, you couldn't get a better start than he did. Just sort of uh, drifted off the pace a wee bit, but it seems he has not lost his zest for the game. No, he hasn't. And um, look, I mean, Hamish is, is a guy that we've always had our eye on. And, and whilst he hasn't always played in New Zealand A-teams because we, 
we perhaps know what he has and we want to find out more about others. I, I had the feeling that we, we want experience against South Africa and if Hamish does get a go, then we know he, he's got 17, 1800s under his belt at, at first class level, including test ones as well. So I thought that was uh, important and when we come to, to selecting the squad, um, especially against South Africa. Uh, Colin de Gronholm back, uh, which is a good sign. Uh, back uh, on a surface, uh, if he does play, which was the one where he made his name, really, uh, those years ago uh, back uh, against Pakistan. Yeah, um, I mean, it's great for Colin. He, he had a rough sort of 18 months with his foot injury and um, and then struggled to, to come back to really be at his best. But uh, it's been really encouraging the, the last month or so. Um, it looks like he's sort of the Colin of old that, that goes in and, and can destroy attack, attacks. And we also know with the ball, he can be a real handful on, on a wicket that's got a little bit in it and, a, and I guess a little bit of nibble. So um, that's a decision we'll have to make, I guess, when we get a little bit closer to the test match. What's that look like? Do we go that way or do we go for Ravindra, for example, as a spin all-rounder? So Trent Bolt not there uh, due to the impending birth of his third child. So... Uh, that opens the door uh, for Matt Henry to make another start. I mean, I mean, it's just like putting a glove on for him. He just seems to slot on, slot in so easily. Uh, and Blair Tickner, um, possibly coming back or back into the squad anyway, more um, so with a red ball in mind this time. Yeah, again, we were looking. Um, there's one thing that's sort of different around the squad, Smithy, compared to other ones that were selected. Is we're we're, t- we're taking 15 this time, not 13. Um, and so that that's created a couple of more opportunities for for guys who who you may not normally have seen. So it's a little bit more like selecting, I guess, a, a team you'd take for for overseas, albeit that it's in home conditions. And um, with Trent out, we were, we were looking around our, our I guess bowlers. We've we've got De Gronholm obviously there that can cover some sort of medium pace swing, but we're looking for someone a little bit more in that enforcing role. And and Blair Tickner is a guy we've had our eye on for a while. Um, been impressed with his skill set this this year in particular, and, and some improvements he's he's made there, and ability to swing the ball and, and bowl with good heavy bounce as well. I don't think there's any doubt that. Uh Tom Blundell deserved his call-up uh, following the retirement of B.J. Watling, but I'm not quite sure he has delivered as much, particularly with the bat, as he would have hoped and, and a lot of people would have hoped. And you've introduced uh, Cam Fletcher from, uh, from Canterbury, of course, into the side as the backup keeper. Um, uh, did you give much consideration to Dane Cleaver as well? They're pretty similar in terms of their record. Yeah, we gave, gave consideration to both those guys. Um, uh, I guess in, in the end we felt that, that Cameron Fletcher's keeping was, was ahead of, of Dane's. Their batting's pretty similar uh, as well. So um, we've gone that way. And, and that's also, a, I guess, a sign that if something was to happen to, to Blundell that we're not comfortable with really Latham or Conway taking the gloves in Test Match Cricket with the roles that we're asking them to play as batsmen. So we wanted to make sure across the 15 that we did have a, a pure keeping cover in that in that uh, squad, and, and, and Cameron Fletcher got the nod. Uh, the other name that uh, you've been consistent with, and uh, he's the youngest uh, guy uh, around the scene at the moment, is uh, Rachin Ravindra. Tell us about his development and where you see him at the moment fitting into a possible 11. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's in that number seven type role, and, and a guy who 
who offers you spinovers as well. I, I think um, the last wicket we played at at Hagley showed some signs of a little bit of spin sort of day three, and it's something, again, we'll, we'll have to talk with the ground staff there around. Um, so there's, there's definitely that option of, of Rajan fitting into that role. In terms of his development, I mean, he's young. Um, it, it may take him just a little bit longer than perhaps some experienced guys to, to find his feet, but I think we, we have to be careful with our... Um, our team that we we don't all end up with a, a group of players that are all around the same age who retire at once as well. So I think that's part of the role mm. of the selection panel is, is is finding ways that you can, I guess, introduce a slightly different um, aging group of of people into the squad as well. Gary, I think it's 1930 the last time uh, we played back to back Test matches uh, on the same ground. Um, on the same block, I think. So this is uh, almost history-making in, in that respect. But what that does do, I guess, uh, as you well know, it, it gives the groundsman a little less opportunity for typical preparation. Uh, but it also um, uh, offers the possibility of, uh, as you say, maybe some spins. So you've left the door open for a couple of players? Absolutely. Um, this is only uh, selected for, for one test. Um, I mean, people have asked me around Ajaz Patel. Ajaz actually has a calf injury at the moment, um, but he's certainly somewhere, and, and we hope he returns to play on the 20th of February, his, his date at this stage. So it's certainly an option if the pitch is a lot drier than we than we do expect. Um, uh, and as you say, they can't get the moisture into it. Uh, I guess just recently here in, in Christchurch, we've had a had a hell of a lot of rain, and um, I, I think uh, the wicket will be pretty well grasped for that first test, but it can change quickly as well. So if there's a lot of hot weather, we do have our our options open, and then, and then also looking at Trent Bolton, whether he's a chance to come back for the second test as well. So the programme now, what is it, nine days away? I think Thursday, uh, Thursday week. So when do when do you assemble? We we assemble on Monday, um, and we've got three sort of trainings beforehand. Um, there are the the guys will keep playing domestic cricket. Uh, some will play Friday, some will play up until Sunday. So. There's a little bit of four-day cricket and also some one-day cricket on at the moment. So we're just balancing that out with the guys and, and what their needs are in the lead-up to the test. But we'll be ready to, to go Thursday, Smithy. I mean, they're a, they're a formidable lineup, South Africa. They'll be coming off confidence from their win against India. So we certainly know we're going to have to be at our very, very best to, to be competing with these guys and, and hopefully get the win. Yep, a bit of history uh, in the offing, that's for sure, with the first series win. Wish you all the best uh, with uh, everything coming together and uh, look forward to Thursday week uh, with Relish. And hopefully, uh, maybe, well, I don't suppose it matters that much the way you, you batted last time, but it'd be nice to win a toss and have, it as, have a, an option, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think we're two from 17 in our, in our last lot of test uh, tosses. So, yeah, it'd be nice to win one or two. We're due, we're due anyway. Good luck with that, Gary, and thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Willie. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Gary Stead there, Black Caps head coach, of course. Um, very solid in his role. He doesn't have to worry too much uh, about things going on behind the scenes. Um, uh, it's, uh, at the moment, it's ticking over very nicely. 9.45 here on SENZ. We've had a number of texts that have come in uh, about uh, bad names for sports teams. Uh, weird ones, odd ones, crazy ones, really. So uh, I'll read some of those out shortly. Uh, and also, um, what do you think makes a good coach? You've just heard a very balanced summary of, of team selection from, from Gary Stead. Uh, and uh, the, you compare that to uh, the schmozzle that's happening in England and Australia at the moment. Uh, it's crazy. So what for you makes a really good sports coach?
9.45. On ECNZ. Well, a number of texts have come in on both those subjects, actually. Uh, the best coaches at the highest level these days, says Toby, a uh, therapist. Uh, and you're, not, you're not too far wrong. Certainly, uh, you've got to have a therapist uh, somewhere. Need the mix, don't you? Uh, would James Neesham be close? Don't think so. Uh, James Neesham, uh, I think, is just a white ball cricketer these days, and he would have to have some real form in red ball cricket to come into the mix now that Colin de Gromholm in particular is there. Uh, and, uh, of course, Daryl Mitchell has probably snuffed out that role as well as far as James Neesham uh, is concerned. So I, I really don't think that either of those, uh, that, that, that uh, Jimmy Neesham w- would be involved there. So uh, how about uh, some of these names then? Any team named after a colour or letter, blues, reds, A's, etc., pretty naff. Um, and, and this is coming from uh, Toby. He says, uh, uh, special mention, the Brave, Knicks, Lakers, Packers. Um, yeah, some of those Green Bay Packers, I don't mind. The Knicks, named after Knickerbockers. I looked at them this morning when I was uh, sort of doing my research into the subject. So na- named after, uh, they looked at that name and thought, uh, this is a bit controversial. Uh, but in the end, they didn't uh, change it because they, they said it was named after a style of trousers worn around New York at the time, very prevalent, called Knickerbockers. Um, so uh, that was the reason for that. Now, two people have come in and said, how about uh, the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers? Uh, what is a jack jumper anyway? James, and for you too, uh, Zaid, uh, a Tasmanian jack jumper is an ant. It's a venomous ant, form of ant over there. So uh, in uh, Tasmania, so uh, they named it after that uh, with a bit of sting in its ta- uh, tail or somewhere anyway, but it's very venomous. So they have got that uh, as part of that. Good morning, um, uh, Ian Smith. Uh, Gold Coast Seagulls NRL rugby league team in the 90s. Why would you name your league team after a flying rat <laughs> in any American sports team with indigenous references like the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Redskins? Of course, the Washington Redskins became the Washington football team uh, and are now the Washington Commanders. And some people say, well, uh, people that uh, say, why well, you got rid of the uh, Redskins? Why the hell did you replace it uh, with the Commanders? Uh, did the Commanders not send people into battle against the Redskins? Oh, look, it's, it's a real contentious thing at the moment, isn't it? 9.53. Keep them coming in. Very interesting subject. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Desperately unlucky, and I mean desperately unlucky yesterday. Uh, the Mavericks beat Atlanta, no problem there. The Nuggets beat Brooklyn, so that was all good. And then last night, the Illawarra Hawks lost to the SEM Phoenix by one point. Big comeback in the second half, lost by one point. And at the moment, Athletic Club Bilbao are leading Espanyol, so we would have got that one up, I think, bar one point. So 8-8 uh, eight and eight going into, 8-9 and nine in fact, going into today's one. Uh, Miami Heat to beat uh, Washington uh, at a buck forty. This is in the NBA. Uh, the Phoenix Suns to beat Chicago at a dollar thirty-two. Uh, and tomorrow morning, quite early, West Ham to beat Watford in the Premier League, uh, English Premier League at a dollar forty. And Manchester United away to Burnley, but still for me, winners at a dollar fifty-seven. Uh, so that would return four dollars six. Uh, we haven't got one this week, and. Uh, 
it's uh, already Tuesday, so we'd best uh, get this one up, and uh, that would be a nice little return. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Angove coming up uh, straight after the break because it's such a massive week coming up with UFC 271 in Houston, Texas, uh, and we've got uh, so many Kiwis involved on that particular card. We thought uh, we'll catch up with the man who knows the most about it that I know uh, in this country. Uh, later on in the morning, we have got that uh, Mount Rushmore for sporting teams with the names that you most dislike or you think are really weird. Four of those. Uh, John Day and I will have our answers to that uh, around about 11.43 this morning, and we've got a panel too in the next hour, 10.23. But uh, in the meantime, time for the news and Emma. Night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a huge week for fight fans uh, with UFC 271 taking place in Houston this weekend with three Kiwis in action as well as the King in the Ring t- taking place in Auckland on Saturday. And joining us now uh, to talk about it is uh, the foremost combat sports expert in New Zealand, a former kickboxing world champion and current city kickboxing trainer, Mike Angove. Uh, Mike, thanks very much as, as always for joining us uh, on this, uh, the start of a really big week, this UFC 271 uh, where we see uh, Israel uh, Adesanya back in work, Blood Diamond for the first time, and Carlos Ulberg. Uh, how's training been for that trio uh, when uh, when they were in the country? Oh, look, it's uh, it's actually not just the start of a really big week. It's the start of a, a really big six weeks or so because you've got the three guys fighting this weekend, plus you've got the two other CKB guys fighting on King in the Ring who have been integral to uh, Israel, Carlos, and Blood. Uh, preparation for, for UFC 271 and then you've got Dan Hooker and Kaikata France next month uh, fighting in London and the US respectively and, and critical crucial fights so it, it, it's uh, it's absolutely massive. In terms of preparation uh, look, <laughs> when you've got that many guys fighting at a really high level um, you know, it, it's been pretty brutal um, it's the, the no stones left unturned kind of preparation uh, plenty of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, and a little bit of science as well to keep everyone uh, sharp and on point. Well, Blood Diamond is uh, first to fight on the undercard uh, this weekend in the UFC 271. It's his first shot in the UFC. Tell us a wee bit about him and and how you think uh, he will go first up. Well, Bloods is an interesting character. He he's had over a hundred fights already in stand up. Uh, so you can't uh, just set aside that level of experience in terms of combat sports. Um, and what people don't know is, although he's a, he's a striker, he has been training his wrestling for quite some time now. And uh, I speak for all of the coaches when I say uh, Bloods is incredibly difficult to teach basic striking. Um, but when it came to, to grappling and wrestling, it was, it was almost like we had a completely different fish. He was well and truly in the water. Um, he knew which way to go. He knew what he was doing. So it was quite natural for him. Uh, but, you know, he's facing a wrestler first up. So uh, that's going to be a big challenge for him to see whether he can both stay on his feet and get back up if he gets taken down because uh, it's, it's no easy feat. And because he's a kickboxer, the plan's going to be stay on the feet, do as much damage as you can, and the wrestler is obviously going to be trying to do exactly the opposite. Wasn't a great start in uh, UFC 
um, in the octagon for uh, Carlos Ulberg. Uh, he was knocked out, of course, last March. So what is uh, the strategy and what, what are the things that Carlos has worked on in between times? Well, I think what you've got to remember about that fight with Carlos is uh, Carlos is very, very green. And he rocked the guy, he thrashed him for the entire first round. But what he actually did was run out of steam. Um, you know, he tried to, to spend all his pennies, every shot was loaded up. So, you know, with that learning experience, um, now he, he comes back in with a little bit more of a measured approach. Um, he knows that you can't load up on every shot. And at this level, you can't just blast guys out. They're resilient, they're fit, they're conditioned. Um, so you have to take a little bit more time to construct your knockouts. Um, and, you know, it's, you're just as tired after a marathon as you are after a 100-meter sprint sometimes. Um, and he, he's got to learn uh, when to sprint and when to jog. And so that's been the focus of it. But, look, he's inordinately talented, uh, a, a, a very, very good athlete. Um, so uh, his his approach has been, I would say, even more professional. And, and again, you know, he's in a camp where there's there's not a lot of quarter asked, um, you know, and it's been pretty brutal for him. So uh, he'll be well prepared. Uh, the hot item on the ticket, uh, from our point of view, is uh, two fighters we know pretty well. Of course, Israel Adesanya and uh, uh, Robert Whittaker. Um, how did you sense uh, Israel was uh, before he left? Look, he's had another great uh, camp. Um, you know, the, the word on this is how much has Rob Whitaker improved and uh, the things he's done in his game, the changes to his mental approach where he's not coming in so recklessly. Um, you know, obviously looking at his wrestling. But in particular, I think the key is the, the, the tidying up of his striking. Uh, he's been working with Johnny Lewis in Australia. His last three fights, Kananir Till and Gastelum, uh, he has been uh, you know, much cleaner and much more patient with what he's doing. So that will be the difference um, as, as well as how he can uh, time in his, his takedowns and his ground game from there. Of, of course, Israel uh, just doesn't sit stagnant either. Uh, so he's made improvements, which you know, we hope to see uh, on the weekend, both in his striking um, and and in his grappling game. So, you know, you, you, you're never stagnant. You've always got to evolve. And, and this is a question of what was the gap between the two? Uh, how, how much has Rob Whitaker shored that up? And, um, you know, how much has Israel involved in, in his areas of weakness as well? Uh, but, look, there is no doubt they are the two best middleweights in the world right now. And uh, as much as Ozzy claims Rob, I'll just uh, you know, point out the fact that he was Kiwi-born. So it's great to have two superb and contra- contrasting athletes you know, representing our part of the world um, on, on the biggest stage of all. So this is massive. We've had a history because of COVID, uh, Mike, of, of fighters almost rushing over at the last minute. We've seen it... Uh, just recently, but I just wonder how more balanced has this preparation been in terms of leaving the country, getting set over there, and who's looking after them as a unit? Um, I mean, we're pretty experienced now. Uh, The the difficulty is never about getting out of the country, it's about getting back. And, um, you know, hopefully in terms of uh, MIQ, uh, that uh, major barrier ha- has now evolved with the times as it needed to. 
Um, so, you know, the boys are comfortable. We're going to have to spend extra time um, overseas while we're waiting to return to the families. But, um, mm. you know, it's, it's necessary. Um, you know, we don't have the same legislative um, and, uh, I, I guess, entrenched support that uh, some more mainstream sports have. Um, so, you know, you don't get the same, same leeway. Um, so we just get on with it, you know. We're, we're, we're at an elite level like a lot of other sports around the world. We have to be innovative. We have to sacrifice, and we just get on with it. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty well prepared now. It's not our first rodeo. It may be a frustrating one, but we'll just get on with it and, uh, you know, play, play, the, play the balls as they come. Uh, one uh, competition that always uh, rates well is a lot of interest uh, is closer to home. On the North Shore this weekend at Event Finder Stadium, uh, King in the Ring, Cruiserweights, uh, as that's what it's all about. Uh, eight blokes having a crack. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about this. First of all, uh, can fans attend or are we down to like under 100, etc.? Yeah, so look, unfortunately, uh, promoter Jason Study has decided, um, obviously, to proceed. Um, he's going to take a financial haircut on it, there's, there's no question. But, um, you know, a little bit like what we were just talking about, you have to innovate, you have to take some sacrifice for the good of the sport. Um, so it's fighters' invite only to keep those numbers down. Um, it's going to be televised live on, on TVNZ Duke. Um, so at least fight fans will be able to watch the fights. Um, it's going to be, look, there's some great new names um, and there's a couple of names who I'm really looking forward to watching. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I come out of city kickboxing. Uh, Mark Timms has, has, seems like he's been in camp for uh, six months now and he's always been one of Israel's prime sparring partners. Um, so he's one of the favourites to go in there and so too is Cam Rolfson, uh, another fighter coming out of city kickboxing um, who'll be on the other side of the draw. Um, so, you know, those two guys are, are guys to watch out for. Uh, Rob Dean coming up from the South Island, he's been very good at, at light heavyweight um, and he'll retain that speed coming up into the cruisers. And there's a bunch of other guys who, who are coming up on that card. So it's always, you know, full of thrills, spills and excitement when you watch those eight-man tournaments. Um, you know, they're, they're literally designed to be sprints and not marathons. Um, so that uh, that format is, is superb. And you've got to remember, you know, we've got uh, three guys on the USC 271 card, all of whom have won uh, King in the Ring uh, at least twice, Israel three times. Um, so it is legitimately a platform to launch guys' career careers rather. So um, you know, that it's something that's great. I'm glad it's on uh, free to air TV on, on TVNZ Duke and really looking forward to that one because uh, you know, you can watch these guys, uh, their formative careers evolve in what's still a, a world class event here in New Zealand. Mike, it sounds like uh, the gym is really uh, really humming with uh, the top level pro- uh, fighters it's producing and uh, as busy as they are but um, just, just tell us about uh, the facility now uh, under COVID as such. I know it's been pretty well publicised. You've had uh, the odd problem in the past, but uh, all that sort of things, um, I, I guess, sorted out now and, you, and um, it's very well populated? Well, yeah, obviously within uh, red light um, restrictions and regulations, you know, everyone's uh, vaccine passed uh, as, as you need to be. Um, regardless of where you sit on the on the mandate, um, and uh, you know we have to limit our numbers. 
Um, we're literally peeing people away with a stick sometimes just to, uh, you know, spread out the classes so that we can limit numbers and, and take care of our hygiene requirement. So, you know, as, as professional athletes, uh, the guys are well catered for. Uh, the, the wider gym is, is still pumping. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult thing to manage when you have, um, you know, you, you've obviously got a gym that needs to function and, and, uh, and operate, uh, you know, so that everyone can eat. Um, and you've got fighters that also need to train. So we, we just, we're just working through it. Um, we're, we're very fortunate. We've got a lot of great talent, as, as do a lot of gyms in New Zealand. Um, and hopefully we're getting to the point where uh, whilst we recognise the, the need to, to still remain cautious and, and vigilant, uh, we are getting to the point where we can get back to you know, business almost as, as usual. Um, you know, with the, the country's vaccination levels and, and, our, and our education and, and the safety levels of, of how we're approaching things. So, you know, uh, you know, as life goes on, hopefully professional sport goes on and we're able to continue to deliver for people. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just it's exciting times, really, um, that things are just starting to open up a bit, fingers crossed. It is indeed, uh, Mike. We can't let you go without a, a prediction, please, if you can. The main event, uh, Adesanya... Whitaker, I would imagine the heart says uh, Adesanya. What does the mind say? Ah, oh, well, the, the mind and the heart are, are interlinked. Um, you know, for, from a point of view, uh, I think that the fight will be more measured than last time around. I think uh, Rob will probably threaten takedowns early, but he'll be he'll be really looking to secure those a little bit later. He'll try and suck um, Israel into a stand-up fight and to see if he can snatch up a leg and uh, look to take Izzy's back. I think um, possibly a, a late-round a late round stoppage for, for Israel, um, you know, because if Rob stays on the outside a lot um, at range, um, you know, Israel's quite capable of picking him off. But look, just really looking forward to that. Two of the best middleweights in the world, or the two best middleweights in the world, and, and it's going to be exciting. Um, you know, Rob's such a nice guy that it kind of falls to Israel to play the heel in this one. Um, so, so no doubt Izzy will, you know, be talking a little bit of snack leading into it. Um, people would do well to remember that's what sells pay-per-views. You know, people, people turn up to watch you win. They also turn up to watch you get knocked out. So, um, you know, um, you know, just putting that on the record, they're both actually hell of a nice guys and, and we're lucky to have them. Uh, in Australasia as you know, as, as a couple of our role models and mentors. And we're lucky to have you too, uh, Mike Ango. Uh, thanks very much for your time this morning and giving us uh, an insight to what we can expect uh, over this very busy uh, weekend of, uh, of uh, Cruiserweight, of course, and of course UFC. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Great to be on. Yeah, cheers, Mike Ango there. And uh, uh, considered opinions there, look, uh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, I didn't know too much about... Uh, uh, to Blood Diamond, to be fair, but to know that uh, JD's had a hundred fights, a hundred fights already. Yeah. Um, so he's he's uh, been around a few rodeos, all right. Certainly has. Yeah. Um, grew up in Blenheim. I think he came from Zimbabwe initially. Ended up in Blenheim uh, and didn't really enjoy his time there growing up in high school. It's fair to say. Uh, really interesting character. I felt a bit sorry for him actually after watching a documentary about him. But um, Mia, over a hundred fights uh, of kickboxing. The dude knows how to fight, and uh, he's 
excitement, his, block, his box office, because you don't know what's going to happen because he simply doesn't have a game plan, Smithy. Uh, he goes in there and just reads what he sees and goes with it. So interested to see. I think he's first fight up on Sunday. So that'll be cool. A huge, massive day for fight fans uh, at UFC 271. Uh, we look forward to that. Uh, look forward to the panel too. Uh, JD coming up very shortly here on SENZ. It's uh, 18 minutes past 10. The panel. Very pleased to say we have Sam Hewitt with us this morning uh, of SENZ fame. Brad Lewis uh, with us as well. And uh, Brad, let's stay on the subject of pugilism, shall we? Because we've just had uh, um, Mike Lightning Mike Angove on with his predictions and uh, talking about uh, this upcoming weekend of, of fighting, and there's plenty on, uh, Adesanya and Whitaker, a rematch. Yeah, look, uh, obviously, Mike, a little bit more qualified than myself, given the fact that he spars with Izzy on a weekly basis. But, uh, man, this is um, this is a hell of a fight for Izzy. Uh, and I've just been looking back this morning at, at the history of rematches in the UFC, and, uh, you know, it's about 75% of the time that the person that lost the first fight won the second fight. Uh, and, uh, you know, they make the adjustments needed. In recent history, Stipe Miocic beat Daniel Cormier in the rematch. Um, you know, Brandon Moreno beat Deverson Figueredo, and then Figueredo beat him in a rematch. Uh, so, so, yeah, um, and Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell dating back many, many years ago. So, you know, everyone's talking about the changes that Robert Whitaker has made to his game, and, and look, he was already an elite fighter, and I believe these two are, are so far above the rest in the middleweight division that, that it's not even funny. There's just such a massive gap between these two and the rest. But as Izzy's pointed out all week, Smithy, he has also made adjustments to his game. And it's not like he's been sitting there and, and, and just resting on his laurels for the last three years. He's a, he's a more dynamic fighter than he was when he knocked out Robert Whitaker. Um, a couple of years ago. So, look, hard hard fight to pick. Robert brings um, a, a wrestling pedigree to his um, to, to the to the fight that he didn't bring the first time around. But you know, Izzy's just so good at nullifying the strengths of great fighters. Um, it's just hard to pick against him when he's been so dominant as a champion. And we've got a, another two uh, fighters on the card as as well. Uh, Brad, uh, what do you know of uh, new name for me anyway? Unusual name, Blood Diamond. Uh, and Carlos Ulberg. Well, Carlos Ulberg's got a great story, Smithy, because he uh, was very close to becoming The Bachelor on, on New Zealand reality TV until Eugene Behrman told him to pick between television and girls and fighting, and he, uh, he chose the fighting realm. He came into the UFC with much hype. He lost his first fight, kind of got sucked into a bit of a war, and he's a very technical striker. He's a very powerful man, uh, and if he sticks to his game plan, um, there's not a lot of guys in the division that will be able to handle his power. I like him in that fight. Um, and Blood Diamond, yeah, um, formerly Mike Diamond uh, changed his name recently. Uh, he's got he's a similar story to Izzy. Come came from an African country, uh, was bullied at school and all that sort of stuff, and has sort of turned himself into one of the best strikers in New Zealand in terms of all round game. Uh, and he is he he comes into the UFC with a lot of hype, and I think New Zealand should really get behind this guy because he could be the the second coming of Israel Adesanya, and we could have another UFC champion a couple of years away from being crowned. Exciting times, uh, of course, and uh, uh, King of the Ring as well. So a big, big weekend coming up for uh, fans of the fight game. I'm not sure if you're uh, one of those, Sam Hewitt. I know you're a cricket fan, um, and I, I, hasten, I, well, I hesitate to ask you this question, but I've, I've heard through the grapevine you had a, a weird 
cricketing <laughs> dream the other night. I did. I had to tell you about this, Smithy. Had a dream last night. And um, what you need to know about me is I have very, very vivid dreams that I do remember when I wake up. A lot of people don't remember their dreams. And last night, Smithy, um, I was playing a game of cricket and I was facing Mitchell Stark, uh, which is probably... You know, that's when you know it's a dream. And um, but I was doing okay, and I was playing. I was just playing around the park, few singles, few few doubles. And and the thing with me, Smithy, is that I've never been. I've played a bit of social cricket. I've never been one uh, to launch the ball over the boundary, both six mm. or four. Um, and so you know, I was just playing my through, but I wasn't getting out. And um, then my partner ran me out. Could have been Ross Taylor. Can't confirm or deny. But my partner ran me out. And as I went off the pitch, um, everyone was coming up to me and congratulating me and saying, mate, great innings. Well done. And I'm thinking, gee, I you know, it's a dream. I don't know, actually know what I did. But I got off the pitch and I looked at the scorecard and sure enough, 49 from 50 balls. And I'm thinking, you know, everyone's ripping the guys that plays the single and the doubles. Here I am getting 49. And I looked further across the scoreboard. It had my lifetime average. And it was 52. Mm. And, I, and, I, and all the rest of the team, you know, they were in the 30s and the 20s. So at this point in time, it's a very good dream. But then I look over to my career strike rate, and it's 12.3. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, Smitty, I'm just wondering, am I the answer uh, to Kane Williamson um, not being in the squad for South Africa? Just putting it out there. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that you're the answer with a strike rate of 12.3. I mean, But the average, Smitty. Tell us what... Do you, do you read wisdom before you go to sleep or something? <laughs> to be honest, it's not even... I'm actually surprised I remember the numbers. The, the run-out was more vivid, um, to be honest, than the numbers. So I might have cooked those numbers a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was a good dream to have some of the, And probably just topical, because I was thinking about the Black Caps squad before I went to bed. So maybe that's why it uh, crept in. Oh, I was going to say, when you woke up, Sam, you know, to your dismay, you weren't in the Black Cap squad, but what have you made of it for the first test against South Africa? <laughs> yes. Um, look, Smithy, I, it's actually quite interesting because I saw a few um, a few headlines that have come out sort of saying, you know, shock selections. And I don't know if they're really shocks when you've got, you know, Kane out with injury, Roscoe obviously retiring. So, you know, you had to obviously bring guys in. And when I look at the squad you know, on paper, I actually still think it's a very strong squad, Smithy. I mean, the batting order, you know, we've still sort of got our openers and you might have to move guys like Conway and that, you know, around a little bit, but it's still a strong batting lineup. And then with the bowlers, you know, we've got Matt Henry, I guess, is a bit of a sort of line and length bowler. You've got Cole Jamison who can do his thing, Neil Wagner who can do his thing. And, um, you yeah, know, I'm obviously excited to see um, to see Tickner in there as well. So I actually think it's, a, it's quite a strong um, squad. Um, and just for a little bit of that, uh, since we were talking about stats before, um, so maybe this one isn't from Adrian, this is from Crick Info. Um, do you know South mm. Africa, the last time they drew a test match was against New Zealand uh, back in 2017. All their other test matches have been wins or losses. So they're not a team that, really? they're not a team that plays for a draw. Okay. Uh, I'll bear that in mind, actually. Uh, I'm going to ask Brad too uh, in a second or two. We're going to go for the news, uh, Brad. I'll come back and ask you about your thoughts about the Black Cap squad and uh, the uh, uh, the inclusion of, of the new players in particular. No Trent Bold again. And what about um, this Kane Williamson? Well, Gary Steele was a little bit more clear on it this morning. Uh, it's a real issue. I really do think it's a big issue going forward. Uh, 10.30 and here's Emma with the news. The panel. Talk, talk, to me, yeah. Sam Hewitt and... Brad Lewis uh, with us this morning. Uh, Brad, uh, I guess you've had a chance to run your, your thumb over that Black Caps uh, test squad. Any surprises for you? 
Um, uh, yes and no. Like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Gronholm's back in the team. He, uh, I talked about this with you last time, Smithy. They just kind of uh, lost that balance without Colin de Gronholm on the side, and I think he'll play uh, because he's the only player really out of that team capable of batting six and um, six or seven and and and, and getting wickets as well. He, he's, uh, and I think. With both tests being at Hagley, there'll be no spinner as well. So I, I don't think Ratch and Ravindra will get a game, which is why AJ's probably hasn't been picked. But I just would have liked to see Glenn Phillips included. Uh, that's just a, a personal opinion. Uh, Hamish Rutherford, we're going, I know he's, he's been fantastic this season, um, but I feel like you know Phillips had that 52 against Australia and Sydney. I know he was, was pretty lucky throughout the innings, but he's just got something about him. And without Kane Williamson, who's, you know... <laughs> one of the top two batsmen on the planet, arguably the greatest player New Zealand's ever produced. Uh, I just feel like you need something a little bit extra. Uh, and um, it's inter- it'll be really interesting to see how the batting lineup plays out, actually. That's what I'm, I'm most interested in, is how Gary Stead's going to put that top six, top seven together, because Blundell's going to be in there somewhere. I don't know about you, probably got a better idea of it yourself, but, but just Williamson leaves just a massive hole against... What, what, I would, what, what I would look at is probably being the second or third best bowling attack in the world right now. Well, it seems uh, we spoke to Gary uh, around about uh, an hour ago and, and it seems as if, from what he was saying, that Young will open with Latham, uh, Conway will bat three. It's the four and five spot, uh, Sam Hewitt, which is of interest uh, because no Ross Taylor forever. Um, Kane Williamson coming and going, uh, which is a massive issue. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I would like to see Nichols at four. I think it's time for him to... Just step up a bit further. I agree. Um, I This is what I said when I saw the team come out. I was talking to Steph about it, and I said, you know, yeah, move a few guys. The top order looks okay. It is the middle um, that, that we probably are going to find out a few things. But I'm almost – I'm actually okay with it as well, Smithy, because I sort of – you have to move on at some stage, and we need, to, we need to know whether these guys can play, you know, in those positions. So I don't have a problem with moving guys around. And on the Kane-Williamson thing, um, it is interesting because – I don't know how you sort of interpreted the story, Smithy, but I interpreted it back in um, back in the Bangladesh series. I was under the impression that the reason why he set out at that series was so that he would be ready for this series. Um, mm. So now we're sort of left questioning, was the right call, mate? I'm not sure. But um, did he go through surgery in the end or was it just rehab? No. No, he won't. And he won't, I've looked at that. I've, apparently they've had two, uh, at least two opinions from overseas surgeons as well that said, uh, no. Uh, don't operate. It's a mm. tendon issue, uh, more so than uh, anything too structural or anything to that point. And it's it's a tendon thing which just requires rest and recuperation from time to time. Um, could be uh, a, an expensive exercise if it doesn't if he does play say against the Netherlands. Um, and then of course um, you can't go to the IPL. So I, I guess mm. you know with your bank balance in mind and that sort of thing, you got to weigh up a lot of things and. And Trent Bolt, of course, not there uh, either for the, the birth of uh, his third child. So, uh, I mean, just the landscape, um, Sam, changes all the time, doesn't it, with the way life changes? Yeah, and, and um, I guess maybe we've been in a little bit of a false sense of security, Smithy, because we've just had this team that you can almost name, it's, that almost names itself, you know, with every test series. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that, you know, we're starting to have to make some big calls because guys just aren't there. Ross Taylor, obviously, is the big one. But, yeah, no Kane, no Trent. So, um, yeah, maybe it's just a bit of a shift um, for New Zealand cricket, and, and we're just going to see a, a bit of a different team over the next you know year or two. Maybe we are, uh, Brad. I, I'm interested to uh, to watch the reaction of of the fallout across the Tasman. I just love it when Australia 
is in trouble, it seems. <laughs> uh, I don't think, uh, I, I really don't think Justin Langer realised he had that many friends um, in the game. I mean, he knows he's got none in the dressing room, but pretty much every single comment has been in support of Justin Langer and anti-Cricket Australia. Yeah, and anti-Pat Cummins, who's probably the most likeable Australian cricket captain in history, Smithy, uh, you know, at least from my perspective from afar, he just seems like a really nice guy and, and plays his cricket in the right way. Uh, but obviously there's been some stuff brewing behind the scenes that was rumoured and was talked about. Langer's position was under threat ahead of the T20 World Cup. Uh, but, I mean, like, he'd be the most wanted coach in the world right now. I mean, I could, I, I would imagine that England's probably going to throw the bank at a guy like Justin Langer to see if they could try and convince him to come and coach them. I know Darren Lehman's name has been linked with that job as well, so it's interesting to see where they go. But, uh, yeah, uh, just <laughs> like you said, it's enjoyable when Australia's, when Australian cricket is, is going through issues. Shane Warne um, on Fox Sport this morning was saying some, some, pretty, some pretty big stuff himself. So, yeah, uh, interesting times. And I guess Trevor Bayliss is probably the, the, the coach that the players want. And that, that's where the problem lies for me, Smithy. And, look, I don't know if ever in your career you, had a, you, 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 and, the, you and Paddles and, and Jerry, Jerry Coney got together and decided who you wanted to coach your team. But that, that for me, is where the problem lies is that, you know, the, the players want a certain coach uh, and, and they're going to get their way. Well, they want a happy dressing room. You know, they want a nice, relaxed dressing room where they don't get any pressure and they want to be able to approach practice and, um, you know, all that sort of preparation at their own speed and they, they don't want to be told what to do, where and when. And, and you know, that's just... I don't know whether that's a general sport thing, an upbringing thing or whatever, or a generational thing, but... Uh, by and large, I mean, you give a guy a job to do, that, like Cricket Australia gave Justin Langer, and that was to turn the team around, get some discipline back into it, uh, get the, 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 you know, the face of Australian cricket a little bit more appealing around the world. He's done exactly that and picked up world titles mm. in the Ashes along the way. And the first thing you do to thank him is to get rid of him. And uh, whilst they say they offered him a contract, it was a token gesture. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they did not want him there because the players did not want him there. It's as simple as that. Uh, let's move on then. Um, let's, uh, Sam, uh, let's get uh, the most out of Reese Walsh while we can because oh. uh, just uh, comments in the last day or so suggest it won't be forever. Mm. Oh, Smithy, it's hard as a Warriors fan um, to hear yet another good player of ours looking to move on. I sort of said from the start with Reese Walsh, we. We're going to lose him as soon as his contract runs out. We were never going to hold him. He's a superstar. You know, a, a big club with a lot of money is going to pull him a lot easier than the Warriors are. So I just thought, you know, at the end of his three, four-year deal, whatever it was originally, we were going to lose him. So I knew that was going to happen. But the idea that it may happen sooner rather than later and the idea that he is uncomfortable with the Warriors and that's why he wants to move is the concerning part. Smithy, I've always said, well, not always, but the last couple of years I've said the Warriors have never, since 2011, have never gotten out, have never worked out whether they're rebuilding or whether they're a premiership side. And when we were in 2018 and we had Roger Tuivasa-Sheck and we had Sean Johnson and we made the finals before losing to the Panthers, it seemed like we were building a side then that was going to challenge for a premiership. We were only two points out of the top four at that, in that season. Um, but then the year after, we lose Sean Johnson. The year after that, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck announces it even. And it's I never understand what the Warriors, are we building a team that will win a premiership or are we at the point where a team can win a premiership? And, and you know, Reese Walsh is just another question mark for me as to what, what are we doing? Well, history might say neither, um, Sam. History might just say neither. 
Uh, Brad, uh, Winter Olympics, uh, have you been watching any of it? Yeah, obviously uh, with, with work, Smithy, we kind of have to, right? But uh, I've actually really enjoyed it. I watched. Uh, I ended up watching the whole big air competition yesterday, both the men's and the women's. Just fantastic what those mm. what those athletes can do. Um, the the speed skating, I always find a riot, and and also the curling. I mean, that just kind of draws you in, doesn't it? You just sort of sit there and and like <laughs> it's it's an ama- it's a sport I would never play, but it is a sport I, I enjoy watching. Um, it's just unique, and the biathlon, unbelievable that they they ski around a, a long distance course and, <laughs> and shoot targets. Um, it's it's thoroughly enjoyable, and obviously Zoe Sadowski is going to an absolute superstar of New Zealand sport. Um, just phenomenal what she's achieved uh, in her young years as a human and uh, more to come from her. Uh, unbelievable what, what she's achieved and, and that's kind of um, put a ribbon on, on, on the first three or four days of the, of the games. Well, Sam, while you used to were dreaming about fa- facing Mitchell Stark, I was actually wide awake at 2.30 this morning watching <laughs> the curling, believe it or not. Uh, and I was so good I couldn't go to sleep. So uh, call me weird, but uh, that's getting me going at the moment, curling. Uh, I've got to ask you, Sam, before we let you go, we're, we're doing a bit of a Mount Rushmore this morning on weird team names. Have you got any? Oh, Smithy, this is absolutely in my wheelhouse uh, when JD sent this topic through. I'm sure there is some sports team in, in like Central Europe or Eastern Europe that has a really weird name, but I honestly think the Americans... The names are synonymous with some of these leagues. When you talk about the NFL, think you know teams like the Packers. When you talk about the NBA, you think about the Lakers and the Clippers. But when you actually look at those names, like what is a Laker? What is actually a Laker? It's an iconic name, but what is a Laker? A Packer. And Staffy was trying to tell me, oh, you know, they're cheese Packers. But who calls themselves the Packers? We pack cheese, we'll call ourselves Packers. The best one for me, though, Smithy, or the worst one, I should say, is the Houston Texans. Now, can you imagine the Chiefs in Super Rugby being called the Hamilton Waikatoes? Because it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and the Columbus Blue Jackets, oh, which is a which is a team that that Sammy will be well aware of. The Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, what is a Blue Jacket? Yeah, it's like the CEO just looked around the room and said, "Well, look, we're all wearing the same thing." There's a, there's a team in the WNBA as well called the Chicago Sky. I mean, is, could you get any more unoriginal than walking outside and going? It's either got to be the grass or the sky, fellas. We'll go with the sky. <laughs> Chicago grass might have been outruled by now. Mind, mind you, it might be legal in Chicago. <laughs> it, changes from state, it changes from state to state. Uh, well, what about what's the, a seven, the Tasmanian? What's a 76er? What's a 76er? Can yeah. someone tell me what a 76er yeah, well, is? Yeah, well, uh, I'm not going to go any further than that because all sorts of number com- combinations might come up and we might get ourselves in deep trouble, Brad. <laughs> What's a jack jumper? What's a Tasmanian jack jumper? Pass. It's a poisonous ant. There you go. Iconic. And it comes from Tasmania. A venomous ant. Highly venomous <laughs> ant from Tasmania. It's better than a laker. <laughs> uh, it's better than a laker, yeah. Okay, fellas, an, on that what's subject. An or, what's uh, an orphan blue? Uh, yeah, well, that's true. What it's is an, an emotion. blue? Um, he's, yep. An Auckland Blue is a, a disappointed rugby player about April every year. Uh, anyway, here's the thing. Uh, 10, 10.44, we've got to say goodbye. We could keep going with his names forever. It's great. Uh, thanks very much, Brad, uh, for uh, your input uh, and also to you, Sam, making yourself available. Great stuff, fellas. Um, we'll have another panel uh, tomorrow morning. It's 10.44. 10.49 here on SENZ. Uh, here's some uh, nicknames. Uh, Bay of Plenty Steamers conjures up a bit of toilet humour. 
uh, says one texter. I think it's more about what comes out of the ground that goes into it, so to speak. Uh, football teams have some weird names. There's a football team from Switzerland called Young Boys, says Todd. I've heard of that team. Uh, if you go through the, the results uh, or games coming up, even on today's list, you could get Honka versus Haka tonight in Finland. Honka versus Haka. Interesting. Uh, there's a team in Gambia called Steve Biko. It's just called Steve Biko. I mean, it's just uh, some really interesting ones uh, coming in uh, along the line. Um, and uh, Adam um, has said his hometown in the AFL in Australia is the Yarrawonga Pigeons. Uh, sounds like, uh, Adam, something that Bill Laurie might be heavily involved in. Uh, any word on any sort of crowd allowed in Christchurch for the Test match at this point? Uh, we'll get clarification on crowds at cricket uh, over the next few days because, of course, we've got the Women's World Cup coming up and what are the plans there about that. So more text to read out after 11 o'clock. Uh, 11 o'clock is some good ones and some very pointed ones as well about team selection. Um, and uh, we'll take a very short break. And when we come back, uh, we'll have Louis uh, and a visit to the TAB. Racing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt joins us now. And uh, Louis, I've got to say, um, I hear tell that uh, you had a bit of a conversation about uh, track closures and abandoned meetings this morning with Baz. He was a little bit hun- hot under the collar about it. Uh, and I, I think um, owners in particular have every reason to expect better. Uh, but you're a little bit more patient about it. Look, I am, to be honest. Um, I'm not saying that it's right, and I'm not defending them, but I am being patient because this is not an overnight fix, and and you'll probably retort and say, well, this isn't an overnight problem. This has happened over and over again. But the New Zealand thoroughbred racing have asked for a grace period. They've set a bunch of actions out. Last time we talked about this, I said people could go find them. A lot of those actions and responsibilities they are setting to change aren't due for until the end of this month, the end of March, the end of May, and even longer. And, and you can literally go and look at them. We can hold them to account and they can be as, as transparent as they are willing to be, which I think Bruce Sharrick and Bernard Saundry are willing to be. It's not good enough, though. I'm not condoning it or pretending like the owners aren't out of pocket and trainers don't deserve better and the racing industry, it doesn't look like a joke when it happens, but I am willing to be patient, so yeah. Do um, more tracks seem to be susceptible than others? I mean, you know, is that, is that how you read it or is this because of this unseasonable heavy rain that we're copping this lot? Well, no, there's a lack of, there's a, look, there's a lack of infrastructure, there's an outdated infrastructure and to be honest, in my opinion, this is my opinion, I think that we're racing on two different, too many tracks. I think we should centralise New Zealand racing more than we have and I think that a lot of these problems will be solved. But it's not good enough to happen on a premier day. It does mean, Smithy, though, that we've got a lot of racing from now to Saturday where we get the Herbie Dyke Stakes and the BCD Sprint, and we'll talk about that this week. But Ruakaka tomorrow, the fields will be bigger. Hastings, the fields will be um, a good size. And Ascot Park, uh, unrelated, I suppose, on Thursday. And then Awapuni on Friday. So plenty of chances to get your horses to the races, and, and there's plenty of winners to be had. But, yeah, look, there's, there's, a, there's a myriad of issues here. Good on you, Louie. You just get off the fence. I love it every morning that you do that. Uh, Brendan Popperwell uh, is representing the TAB this morning. Of course, BP heavily involved in presenting racing as well. And uh, you have to have the news from time to time, BP, telling everyone that it's off for the day. It's uh, not easy. No, it's not easy. No, and it's heartache for 
for a lot of people involved, isn't it? Trainers, owners, those that are piling, piling the money into the industry. So, um, yeah, something needs to be done. Uh, I don't know what that is and how quickly it can be done, but, um, yeah, this is certainly becoming a known trend at the moment. And, um, yeah, clearly some of our tracks aren't up to it. So um, watch the space, I guess, in terms of what happens in the next report. Uh, but, yeah, it's just becoming frustrating, isn't it, Smithy? Um, we better sure try and find a winner sure for you. Yeah, off Yep. I've got a winner Better, for you actually. at Royal Kaka. Yep. Yep, I've got a winner for you, Good. but I'll, I'll quickly buzz through these NBA odds for you that we've got here. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, we've had $1,000 on them today at $6.40. Now, they've actually moved into 16 oh. now. They're playing the Golden State Warriors, so watch that market move. And one punt has laid oh. down $1,000 in the total points to be under 212 at $1.87. And the Miami Heat, they look to be the one team for multis today. 141 into a dollar 39, 2,000 on them uh, head to head. Selassie's the bet tomorrow at Ruakaka in race number three. He's Derby bound. Opie Boston aboard and Pinarello in race number four also Derby bound out of Ruakaka tomorrow in the Big Ten race program. You're a legend, BP. I thank you for that. They're in the log. 11 o'clock. The SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. CNZ. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. It's 11.04 in this hour. We're going to be talking to Ollie Ritchie, who, uh, of course, is uh, working very hard in Beijing in the Summer Olympics. Uh, we'll catch up uh, on what happened last night and what's uh, about to happen today in terms of New Zealand competitors. It's been spectacular. Honestly, it has been simply spectacular. And uh, I was, uh, like Brad Lewis, I was glued um, to uh, that jump last night with those kids coming down with all the tricks that they can perform in uh, such a short space of time when they get so much elevation so quickly and then they come down with all the twirls, the ski grabbing. It's just sensational. It really is, and the way they land them. And then pull up down below with a great big smile on their face. It's just such a refreshing sort of thing to watch. Uh, and the New Zealand guys did really well. They really did do well, and uh, they were in the hunt for quite some time to get to the last 12, but the standard is so high, and they're still very young. So maybe next time around. Uh, Craig from uh, Bay of Plenty has come in and said, Hi, Smithy, worst name in sport has to be the Ford Performance Racing. How can you use Ford and performance in the same sentence with a straight face? Hmm, very good. Uh, someone else has come in and said uh, the Young Guns. Clayton has come in, John, and said the Young Guns. Uh, they were a bunch of legends, the Young Guns, weren't they? Hell yeah. I, I can still remember the song and the poster, Smithy, which you were part of. So, yeah, well, it was in the grey uniforms, wasn't it? The Young Guns? Young Guns. DB. Yeah, DB. Uh, was part of the DB uh, group in, in terms of uh, the major sponsor back in those days when you could have beer as your sponsorship. And uh, not uh, long after that, it was knocked on the head, I think. But the DB Young Guns, yeah, there was uh, two or three of us that certainly didn't fit the bill uh, in terms of the name or the look, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we tried to get to as far uh, far back in the photo as we possibly could, uh, but uh, it was pretty awkward. And there was quite a bit of the old proverbial piss being taken uh, for the younger guys, <laughs> the older guys in that group. Uh, and on that subject, uh, Liam has come in on a more serious note. It's a bit of a piss take, so to speak having Williamson rest all summer and be happy for him to go straight into the full season of the IPL. Uh, great prep for a big test series in England. Not, I would imagine, Liam's getting it there. So, yeah, it's a, it is an interesting one and it will raise uh, some conjecture, I'm sure, that, um, you know, the, the big ticket, 
financially, particularly when you get towards the end of your career. Uh, I would imagine it is the IPL, particularly if you're going to get the kind of money that Kane Williamson is. And uh, you, you know, you've got to set yourself up for the future as such. And no one would deny of all New Zealand players him the opportunity to do that. But just the timing of everything is right. I mean, you know, mixing it up with being available for as our test captain to play test cricket uh, and not being available, we find it a little bit hard to take, particularly on the back of uh, Ross Taylor's announcement as well. Uh, Ken has come in and said Smithy thinks Stead has played it safe with his selection. Should have given a couple of young, uh, younger guys a go, De Grandholm and Tickner or Rutherford perhaps, and not uh, sure they are the future. Well, I looked up uh, Hamish Rutherford's 32. The thing about Hamish Rutherford, he really doesn't need blooding into Test cricket because he's already played quite a bit of Test cricket. Uh, his form just went off the boil and uh, um, you know he was left out as a result of that. But if he started a second time round the, the way he started first time round, uh, he'd be a hell of an introduction uh, around about the top of the order somewhere. I don't. On what, what I heard, uh, John Vaughan, what I heard from Gary Stead this morning, uh, he's pretty well got his top five sorted in his head, uh, but that would not leave room for Hamish Rutherford in the first test match because he certainly did say uh, that he would have Young and Latham opening, Conway at three, and Nichols and uh, Mitchell at four and five, but uh, perhaps not quite in that order. So uh, that's probably his deliberation point. But the top five looks set in terms of personnel, John, would you say? Yeah, yeah, he told us that this morning, just needs to figure out whether Nichols or uh, Mitchell bats four or five. And you'd have to think probably Nichols is more suited to four than than Mitchell. Um, but Mitchell, you ask him to do a job and he does it for you, doesn't he? So, uh, And then Hamish Rutherford is a ready-made replacement and he's te- test match ready. I think if you're bringing in another younger player, say, you know, a Conway or a Latham or Young gets injured the day before the match, you need someone who's played a lot of first-class cricket. And he mentioned to us that Hamish Rutherford has got, what, almost 20 first-class centuries, including a, a test century on debut. So he's bad already, he's ready to go, and I don't think they want Ravindra up the top of the order in test match cricket yet. Too young, isn't he, Smithy? Like he, he can bat top of the order for the Wellington Firebirds, but in Test cricket at the moment, they want to ease him in in that all-rounder slot at number seven. I am a little bit surprised about Colin de Gronholm. I wasn't quite convinced he's back ready for Test match cricket yet. Um, I haven't seen that his bowling's been that good. I think his batting's remained the same, whereas on his day, he goes off, but his day doesn't come around too often enough. So I thought maybe there was a chance for another all-rounder to be called in. But when you look around, Smithy, someone was asking about Jimmy Neesham earlier on. Uh, we've also obviously got De Gronholm. Uh, Daryl Mitchell's in there already. But apart from that, a genuine bowling all-rounder uh, who can bowl pace, not too many of those around. No, they're not. I mean, they, they were hoping that Cole Jamison would turn into a genuine all-rounder. And he, he just might. His batting... Uh, was very, very good at the start of his career. But his whole game, just to me, is just it's just stalled a wee bit. Uh, he needs a big series against South Africa. We need him to front up there, uh, particularly without Trent Bolt in that first Test match. I think it's very important that Cole Jamieson uh, uh, assumes quite a senior role there. Uh, Matt Henry's undoubted for me. I mean, he's just, uh, pick up the phone. I'm in a spot of bother here, Matt. Yeah, no problem, Gary. I'll be down in Nets um, very shortly, and I'll deliver you line and length as you desire, uh, time after time. So... That, that's not a problem for me. Uh, Tickner was an interesting one. Only been a white ball player for New Zealand. Um, and I, I sort of went for Sears yesterday. I, I thought about Tickner and I went for Sears because uh, I've led to believe, I haven't seen much of him, but that uh, Sears is the quickest bowler in the country and I just like having genuine pace around the scene. Uh, so, uh, look, it's an interesting series.
Uh, before we go to the break, we've got uh, Ollie Ritchie just uh, around the corner, John. This Peng Shui thing, um, where she's come out yeah. now on a very controlled, a very controlled interview, I shall say, and said it's been a massive, huge misunderstanding over a post in which she claimed she was forced into having sexual relations with a former Chinese party leader. Uh, she said she never, ever suffered sexual assault, uh, but there is some serious doubt about the validity and the genuineness of the interview. Yeah, she sat down with L'Equipe, which is a very famous sports paper in France, uh, very trusted, um, but it's all happened in China under the supervision of Chinese authorities. And in fact, uh, when you've got a journalist from a French paper talking to someone who's Chinese, you need uh, someone to, um, you know, change their language, don't you? What is it, an interpreter? That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and so yeah. the interpreter was there from the Chinese government. And so things Peng Shui was saying back to the reporter, we're coming through this uh, Chinese person and coming back to the reporter is very similar language and things that were being said by the Chinese government themselves. So you just got to wonder uh, with Peng Shui, what has gone on here, Smithy? And it's a very important time for China. They're putting on the Olympics at the moment. They don't want yeah. any bad headlines. So you can kind of put two and two together here, can't you? You can put two and two together, and I think there's a, a reason why uh, they've done that, and they've done it at exactly the time they wanted to. If they wanted to hide it even further, if they wanted to bury it while the Winter Olympics were on, they were more than capable of doing that. Uh, don't you worry about that. And the other thing about uh, Lake Keepers, uh, they will have had to cut through a lot of red tape uh, to get to the point where they can actually interview her uh, on Chinese soil, if that is the case. So... Um, you know, we'll uh, await further, but uh, certainly there were some happy photos, some happier comments, but uh, I don't know if the world is completely at ease with what they have seen. 11.12 here on SENZ. Uh, Ollie Ritchie shortly out of Beijing. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, after the glory of, uh, of course, uh, Miss uh, sadowski Sinnott, we uh, expected a lot, didn't we, uh, after Zoe, that uh, we would be getting uh, more and more performances. But it wasn't such a great day yesterday on the snow for our Kiwis at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Uh, but up early in the morning, uh, I think uh, around about five hours behind, so it must be about quarter past six over there, uh, as News Hub uh, reporter Ollie Ritchie. Thanks uh, so much, Ollie, for, for getting up and having a chat to us. Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, on paper it looked a, a bit more of a, a disappointing day yesterday, but what did... What did you make of it? Let's start with perhaps Alice Robinson and the giant slalom. Sounds like uh, Ollie might not be there at the moment. I have to perhaps go through it at the moment. Anyway, Alice Robinson, of course, uh, missing out on that. Ollie's there. Ollie just uh, talking about uh, yesterday not being quite so good. Uh, And we began with uh, Alice Robinson and the giant slalom. Yeah, look, I think disappointing would be the right way to describe that one, Smithy. Uh, a lot was expected of Alice Robinson, and, and certainly she expected a lot of herself, um, seen as a as a big medal hope going into the giant slalom, and it proved to be a really tricky course. And she she said afterwards that she just found it incredibly difficult to navigate that course, and she kind of lost her way a little bit at the top, and and really struggled to 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 get back on track from there. Really, um, just too slow and and, and too far off the pace uh, to be able to to challenge anywhere near those podium spots. Unfortunately, having to to settle for, for 22nd, um, which is not what she came here for. She was really confident and hopeful uh, that she could challenge a podium spot. So 
Look, she'll get another chance in the Super G a little later on, but certainly from, from her perspective, um, came in hoping and, and, and almost expecting a medal. Um, just wasn't to be, and, and I suppose that's the brutal reality of sport. It is the brutal reality of sport. Uh, just ask Michaela Schifrin, of course, from America, uh, the defending champion. Uh, she also crashed out. So uh, Alice wasn't alone in finding it uh, a little difficult at times. Yeah, something obviously that 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 course um, proved to be quite tricky. Um, yeah, with, with Michaela Schifrin crashing at the very top. I mean, that was her that was her run over. She couldn't even even have a second run after. Uh, after getting a DNF, and, and she was very much the hot favourite to, to win gold. So, you know, when you, you see that, that calibre of athlete and that calibre of skier crashing out so early on, um, it really makes you, you realise just how tricky that course was. And then, yeah, we, we, we saw the struggles that Alice had, uh, particularly near the top, just struggled to get into her rhythm and, and get into her run. And, yeah, she said, she said afterwards that um, she just found it incredibly difficult to try and navigate that course. Margot Hackett was uh, in action in the, the free ski big air yesterday. Uh, fascinating event to watch, to be fair. Uh, she struggled in practice. Uh, she was injured a, a little bit in practice after crashing, and uh, finally she landed her uh, final jump, but too late. Yep, sounds like uh, Ollie's dropped off again. Um, it's the trouble with these. Phone lines in and out of uh, these uh, overseas places. We'll try our very best to, to get back to Ollie. He's probably answering nobody at the moment, um, and we can't hear him. So uh, Brian's just working away to try and get him uh, back because we've got to ask about uh, the two young men that uh, uh, were uh, 18th and 16th as well, just outside the qualifying spots, the top 12. And what's in action today? Um, and uh, in particular, we've got the 20k biathlon. I need to know a little bit more about that um, and our competitor. So, um, is uh, Ollie back there? I'm just uh, looking for. He's not not there at this stage. So, uh, we'll hold that. Now, uh, I'll talk to you then, John, uh, while we're trying to get him back. Uh, Campbell Wright, of course, is our uh, entry into the 20k biathlon. Now, this is the young man that uh, Lavina Good had uh, plumped for inclusion in the side. Is that correct in the team? That's the one. Yeah, looking forward to this. Uh, he, I think he's he was um, available to ski for the USA, um, and actually got the tap on the shoulder. Campbell Wright, and they were just like, "Mate, come across here, ski for us, and shoot for us." Um, he went, "No, nah, I'm a Kiwi through and through," and then had to go to the final World Cup event just before the Olympics to even qualify. Smithy and came top sixteen, and that was enough for the selectors to see. So, young Campbell Wright, I don't think tonight will be his night. Uh, 20k uh, biathlon tonight um, but I think definitely in the future he's a guy who could medal because um, this is like 20k's of skiing and shooting you need a lot of good cardiovascular I think you need to be in there amongst the other athletes too and get the experience so I think there's around 30 is the kind of peak for the biathlon so Campbell Wright will get great experience today hopefully a top 16 will be a good result um, it'll be a late night one if you're keen to watch at 9.30 tonight but yeah one for the future I think Smithy uh, I, I'm interested to know, so this is done on circuits, isn't it? It's not like just uh, yeah, you, you, you ski from Napier to Hastings and stop off at Clive and a couple of places on the way there to shoot a couple of things. It, it's done on a lap, isn't it, a, a circuit? 
Is that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, they go round and round in circles essentially, and then you, so you get your heart rate gets up to like one sixty, but that's no good when you're lying down with a gun in your hand trying to shoot a tiny, tiny target. So it's a massive control of trying to get your heart rate from that one sixty right down to about eighty or resting level. So it's not when your blood's pumping and your heart's racing, it's not shaking your shot with the shooting. So. Um, yeah, that's my that's what I understand of biathlon. One of the great sports, I think, of the Winter Olympics, just because you don't see it any other time, and you can kind of realise where it's come from from a real life situation. If you live in those parts of the world, like Alaska, and you go hunting, it's probably what you have to do, Smithy. Go trailing for twenty kilometres to shoot a rabbit or something. <laughs> so now they're just doing it at the Olympics without the rabbit Try and without out. real guns. Well, there's all sorts of uh, programs on Discovery Channel and that, isn't there? Uh, about that, but most of those dudes are about 60 to 70. They've all got beards as long as uh, down to their knees, having to shave for about five years, uh, and they're as rough as hell without any teeth. But I wouldn't imagine that's what Campbell Wright looks like. Uh, Ollie, thanks very much uh, for joining us. So we're just talking about his prospects tonight and uh, a, a, an event we really do, do like the look of, this 20K biathlon. Yeah, hey, Smithy, sorry, a few technical issues over here in, um, in China, but... Yeah, look, it's it's an, an event where, where they don't normally peak until kind of their late 20s, and, and Campbell's nowhere near that. He's only 19. So, um, you know, he's got a lot of time to develop in this sport. But, um, you know, I think if he can nab a top 20 spot, that would be that would be deemed a really successful effort from him. Um, quite an intriguing sport to watch. Um, the old, you know, cross-country skiing and shooting and, you know, getting your heart rate down in time to, to aim that shot as a... As a uh, as a feat on its own, so um, it'll be very interesting to see how Campbell goes in his first first Olympics. But I, I would think, you know, if he can have a top twenty spot, that would be deemed a very successful effort from him. Wow. Okay. Eleven uh, thirty p.m. New Zealand time tonight, so it's a late start uh, for Peter Michael in the fifteen hundred meters speed skating. Uh, realistically, what can we expect from Peter Michael? Yeah. Look, he could. He could challenge a podium, and he, he certainly certainly came, comes here to do that. He had two fourths in Pyeongchang in 2018. Um, that was in the 5,000 metres uh, and in the team pursuit. But he's here in the shorter form, first up in the 1,500 metres. So really more of a sprint on the ice for Peter Michael. So it's been a bit of an adjustment period. Um, look, it would be an outstanding result if he can... If he can nab a podium, even if he can challenge a podium, um, I, I think would be would be deemed a really successful result for Peter Michael. He's probably uh, aiming for the, around that top ten uh, again, and you know he knows how to get close to a podium. As I said, he went very close in 2018, but you know new distance for him, uh, more of a sprinting distance than his preferred 5,000 meters. Um, so top ten would be amazing, but you know anything can happen at the Olympics. We we could see him up there. Uh, Ollie, last night I tuned in around 6.30 New Zealand time to watch the men free skiers in the big air. Uh, I wanted to see our guys, Finn and Ben, have a crack. Uh, I did. I watched them both. I think there was one uh, competitor in between them, so it was nice to follow them. And I thought, well, I'll just watch this for a little while. I watched for two hours. I was absolutely glued, mm. uh, as were the commentators, who just kept raving uh, about these kids one after the other, who just confounded uh, gravity almost with what they were able to achieve. Now, I thought our two young guys did really well, uh, but they just couldn't quite make the cut. Yeah, the, the standard in that was ridiculous, wasn't it, Smitty? Um, for, for Ben and Finn to be able to produce those sorts of tricks and those sorts of performances, 
um, you know, on any other day would probably see them in the top 12 and, and into the finals a couple of days later. But uh, such was the standard last night. Uh, it just wasn't quite good enough. It was incredible, wasn't it? And, you know, that they'll be better for that experience. Ben in particular uh, at his first games, um, clearly he's shown that he's got uh, the talent uh, to, to be here and to match it on the biggest stage. But, boy, everyone just seemed to be absolutely on fire last night. So, you know, when their best wasn't quite good enough to make top 12, um, you know the, the competition and the field is pretty strong. If you weren't uh, having to report on the New Zealand efforts in it, uh, what is the event that cap, uh, captures you the most? What, if you had to go just as a spectator, for instance, uh, what would you like to see the most, or what have you, have you enjoyed? Um, well, I, I mean, I actually think, and New Zealand is in it aside, that the slope style um, is just incredible. You know, those three rails, three three massive jumps, and to see the the way that they can just, you know, seemingly out of nowhere, just put something ridiculous down that, you know, I look at it and go, you know, I'd be almost dead if I tried to do that. Um it is very cool and, and you know, that the broadcast coverage does not do justice to just how steep those runs are as well. It's, it's quite incredible when you actually see it in the flesh, just just how steep those runs are and how fast they're actually going when they attempt those jumps. So I've really enjoyed watching that and I'm, I'm looking forward to the half pipe as well. Similar, just like, it's right next to the, to the slow. Right, sorry, might have cut out there. Um, right next to the slope style course where, where Zoe won gold the other day. So I think the half pipe will be really cool uh, as well with Nico Porteous. Uh, and uh, speaking of uh, Zoe, Steph had her uh, on his show yesterday afternoon. She still sounded just as bubbly as when she'd won it. Um, but now she has to get her feet literally back on, on the ground and back into some skis. And we're hoping for something very special in the big air. When, how far away do we have to wait for that, Ollie? Yeah, it's 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 a few days away uh, yet, Smitty. Um, she'll she'll head to Beijing um, and from Zhang Zhou in a couple of days. Get a few a few days training, and then in about a week, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you'll be able to see her in the big air, which is where she won the bronze in twenty eighteen. So she knows how to do well in that competition. Uh, could be could be double gold. Could be, hopefully so. Uh, Ollie, thank you very much for persevering through those uh, technical difficulties and. Giving us an update, um, I take it you're enjoying it, so um, go well over there, mate. We're enjoying what, uh, the work yeah. that you're doing coming back. Yeah, loving it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ollie Ritchie there from News Hub, of course, um, with uh, a lovely job over there. Um, COVID aside, uh, it just looks a spectacular event, uh, in all honesty. I've never been, to be honest, I've never been a, a snow-type person, an alpine-type person. Um, I was always a great fan of Jean-Claude Keeley, but that's just showing my age. Uh, but uh, to be fair, I, I, I've never been, but you only have to watch this for a little while just to see how damn clever and talented most of these young people are outstanding. Uh, and on the subject of being damn clever, how clever are you? It's uh, 0800 150 811, stump smithy time, uh, 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers up for grabs and some sleep drops as well. So get that. Get the phones going. Dumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go again, that time of the day where we give away 50 bucks from the TAB as well as some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Sleep Drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And today, caller number one is a good friend of ours. It's Reed from Gore. G'day, Reed. G'day, Smithy and John. How are we? Yeah, I am very well. Very well indeed. Um... 
we're talking about team names today, unusual ones or some of the worst ones going around. Uh, Stags wouldn't be in there, would it? Oh, absolutely not. It'd be one of the better names, wouldn't it? I think so. Antlers up. It's quite exciting. But they took away Super Rugby from you guys uh, down in Invercargill. Not quite gore, but in Invercargill. Yeah, disappointing. Yeah, I'm sure you would have been able to what, hire a cherry picker or something and catch some action for free. <laughs> Would have given it a go anyway. <laughs> I bet you would, Reid. Good man. All right, mate. Uh, three sporting categories. You choose one, get three questions right. You win all the prizes, but get one wrong, and Smithy can and will stump you. So your categories today are boxing, netball, and tennis. Do you like any of those, Reid? Yeah, we'll go, we'll go netball, eh? Netball, oh, yeah. Oh, well, did you hear what happened to the last guy who chose netball? Yeah, yeah. yeah I did, I did. <laughs> yeah, you enjoyed that, didn't you, Smithy? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was my highlight of the working week. It was just, just, it was just behind Zoe uh, Sadowski's gold medal. <laughs> One and two on the podium. Awesome. All right, Reid, let's go. Well, it is netball capital of the world, Southland, so you should know your netball. Question number one. Name the six New Zealand netball franchises in the ANZ Premiership. Uh, yeah, we've got the um, Southern Steel, we've got the Tactics, we've got the Mystics, um, the Magic, the no- Northern, Ooh. Ooh. Uh, oh, uh, Tactics as well. Yep, the Northern... The Northern. Um, oh. Pressure's on. Yeah, you see the Mystics. And then um, it's right there on the tip pur- of your tongue. Well, it's the purple. Uh, yep, purple. Um, You're getting closer. Oh. I'm going to need something, Reed. It's the sound, it's the sound, it's the, uh, the background music. Um, oh, okay. Oh, take off the background music. There you go. Some silence. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, that, that helps a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure. Um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, oh, there it is. The stars. Hey. Just a couple of chips down the right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, you can get timed out in cricket, can't you? Yeah, that was almost a timeout job, and then the, you gave it away when you said, there it is, the stars. But here, uh, Reid, uh, I, I think you only gave us five, but J- JD's given you a win there. Um, I think you missed the central pulse, but I could be wrong. There you go. But however, let's yeah, move on. I think, I think you are right there, Smithy. But, um, you know, he was battling away and just wanted to help him out a little bit. All right, okay. Fair All right, Reid. Well, no more help, though, from now on, and the music will be staying on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so question number two. Who took home the Dame Lois Muir medal for best netballer in New Zealand last year? Oh, uh, that was. Oh. No, I'm going to have to pass. Was it Sulu? Fitzpatrick? That's the couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. Oh. And the way it as soon as you give up, Reid, that's when the magic happens. So keep that in mind. Smithy, he's, oh, he's yeah, getting lucky. It was, on, it was there. It was there. I was just, yeah, the name was once again getting me. I reckon it was one of your best interviews, Smithy. 
last year. I was going to say Sam, Sam Winders as well, but um, so I would have missed this. So. Ah. Yep. Okay. Good luck, Reid, though. It's down to a one-question shootout, boy. Good luck. It sure is, and this is a relatively hard one. Uh, how many coaches have the Silver Ferns had since their first test in 1938? Oh. So this is a real kind of guess here. Yeah, oh, this is going to be a yeah, huge guess. We'll just go with 19. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. So in 84 years of netball, Smithy, how many coaches have the Silver Ferns had? Well, usually it's a job that has a bit of longevity about it because they don't play that often. Um, compared to, you know, I mean, when I say they don't play, they don't play every year, but they, they don't play a lot of internationals as such. I'm going to go lower. Uh, I'm going to go closer to uh, 15. One of the worst things I have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field. There's only been 11 Silver Ferns coaches in 84 years, yeah. which is just amazing to me, which wow. means you win, Reid. Uh, you, you didn't really know your netball, but you knew enough to get 50 bucks from the TAB, so well done to you. Oh, no, thanks very much, guys. Keep up the good work, eh? No problem. No, yeah, no problem, Reid. You stay on the line too, and uh, Brian will get your details. I imagine he's probably got them anyway, but he'll just confirm them. Uh, have a good day down there, and Gore. It's 11.38 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, Mount Rushmore time, John Day and I. We know you haven't forgotten about sport. Neither have we. SENZ. There's a new team in town. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Spangled Banner, courtesy of Jimi Hendrix, uh, and that means it's time for our Mount Rushmore for the week, being Tuesday. Uh, and today our subject is the teams with the worst or cringeworthy names, or the ones that have got them in trouble, perhaps, uh, over the years. Um, so I'll begin today, uh, John, with one that's come through already this morning, uh, relatively new to the NBL, not uh, too bad though on the success front. The Tasmanian Jack Jumpers? A Jack Jumper from his head all the way down to his toes. Local hoops nut Simon Hall might be the new basketball team's number one fan. I couldn't be more excited. We've waited 26 years. I still remember the Devils' last game 26 years ago. Hall and his family will be front and square for the Jack Jumpers' first game tomorrow night. Such is Hall's fandom... He and his partner conspired with their obstetrician to plan the birth of their second child around a JJ's home game. He looked on the calendar, he said, how's Friday the 14th of January? And I had to explain to him that that's a Jack Jumpers home game. He knows how passionate we are. And with a laugh and a smile, he said, no worries, we'll book it in for Saturday. There's even a club song, local rockers Luca Brasi penning a new anthem. Jack is alive the significance of Tasmania's return to the big league immortalised in special blazers today. Yep, that's the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Weird. Uh, a venomous Jack Jumper Ant. That's where they get their name from. 
um, and it is. Uh, apparently, it's a nasty little creature. Um, and the jack jumpers uh, are in the NBL, John. That's my number four. Yeah, fair enough too. I when they announced the team, I was just like, "What the hell does that mean?" I just thought it meant someone who does uh, jumping jacks a lot. But good to know mm. that it's a venomous ant. That's a bit cooler. Um, I've got uh, colours really annoy me for sports teams. It's like a lazy option. Reds. Blues, uh, but this one is on my Mount Rushmore. Many people involved with the organization thought the team should be named after their leader, Paul Brown, but Brown rejected the idea. So instead, McBride held a fan vote in May 1945 to decide the team's name. Ultimately, the name chosen was the Cleveland Panthers, but was denied because it was the name of another failed football team in Cleveland. So that August, despite Paul Brown's rejection, the team went with the name the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns? Could you get a worse color than brown i mean it's it's no. it's a disgusting color and just for me cleveland browns just sounds like a average name let's say smithy so that's on my uh, mount rushmore uh, yeah i think baker mayfield is that's also a very unusual name uh, as their quarterback so cleveland browns it, it sounds like they they don't play very well <laughs> you get what i mean yes. uh, so they don't Okay, Washington Bullets is my next one, uh, number three for me. Uh, they became the Washington Wizards because uh, the owners of the Washington Bullets uh, wanted to distance themselves from gun violence. So they came up with the Wizards, John, which was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it, considering the Wizard is the home uh, and he's the big boss of the Ku Klux Klan, the Washington Green Bullets. Wizards. Oh, wow. That's... <laughs> what? So, oh, oh, so that's just they got it wrong twice. Oh man, that's that's a shocker. That's an absolute shocker. Oh, the bullets and the wizards—they're both bad. Um, all right, for mine number three, Smithy, I've gone closer to home, and I don't know really what this animal is, um, but this team is called this animal, and it just perplexes me. For the very first time since their history in 1922, Thames Valley will win the Meads Cup. The Meads Cup for 2018 to Thames Valley, the Swamp Foxes. What is a Swamp Fox, Smithy? I've been to the Coromandel several times. I've never seen a fox. I may see the old marshland, um, but I've never seen a fox in a swamp around the Thames Valley region. So for me, I love the name, I love the team, but it's just a weird one for me. Where do they get that from, Thames Valley Swamp Foxes? I do I do not know. I've never seen one. I've never seen a Swamp Fox anywhere in New Zealand. Now, obviously there might have been some going way, way back to our ancestral days, but I, I, honestly, John, I, I'm not quite sure about it. Someone from Thames Valley will text in, um, I'm sure, over the next 24 hours and enlighten us as to that. Uh, Costa just come and said, I can't stand the tall blacks. It just sounds stupid. Um, hey, John Day, what about the all blacks? <laughs> They're all flying in now. <laughs> um, my, my number three um, is a team from Canada. It's a, it's a baseball team, John. And it's called the London Rippers. Now, it was named after Jack the Ripper. Mm. And it was also, if you look at the logo of the London Rippers, it portrays Jack the Ripper. Uh, it didn't last too long. It absolutely didn't last too long. In fact, it lasted about a year, and it's no wonder why. The London Rippers. 
Located in Ontario, Canada, London is a peaceful town home to 350,000 people. So when its baseball team, the Werewolves, sank, a local businessman called David Martin decided to buy back the team. And it would seem that he has a certain flair for publicity stunts since he's decided to nickname his team the Rippers. A reference to the notorious serial killer Jack the Ripper who terrorized the English capital in the 19th century. <laughs> yeah, not, not the right option, is it? Really? No, no. <laughs> no. Not really. Not, Absolutely not. Not a good not. look at all. No. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it was knocked on the head very quickly, but I, you know, I just thought to myself, yeah, the Rippers. The London not, Rippers. We play Ripper, we play Ripper rugby over here, but it's got an entirely different <laughs> connotation, of course, with uh, just ripping that little bit of ribbon yeah. off the shorts that the kids do, but... Uh, over in England and uh, other parts, it's got a different connotation. Absolutely. Right, so you've had the Jack Jumpers, the Bullets and the Rippers. I've had the Browns, the Swamp Foxes. And my second one, I don't have any audio, but they were the Hokkaido Fighters, which is a pretty good name for a baseball team. And then Nippon Ham came on board as a sponsor. And they weren't just happy, Smithy, with their name being on the top. They wanted their name to be part of the team. So now the uh, Japanese baseball team is called the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters. Uh, I don't know what a ham fighter is, um, but it conjures up some pictures in my mind. Maybe do we need to fight for the ham uh, this year in our NPC tipping competition? Uh, arm wrestle. An, an arm wrestle. wrestle. Yeah. Um, yes. An arm wrestle for the, the ham We could fighters. be ham fighters. Yeah, <laughs> we could go to Japan. That would be even better, yeah. John. Uh, here's a, here's uh, my number one. Uh, I'm, is it your number one as well? Oh, we absolutely agree that this is the worst no. probably name ever in, in sports history around the world. Which makes it the best. Okay, you can, uh, I'll give you the honour of talking about it because it makes me shudder. Yeah, well, <laughs> we all know what it is, isn't it? It was the name of our national badminton team and they were called 